Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a podcast brought to you by the Triad Network. This podcast is designed to share trending topics occurring within the world and our communities and bring them a behavioral and mental health perspective. Welcome to Behavioral Health Today. I'm your host, Dr. Graham Taylor. My guest today is Cedric Bertoli. Cedric is the founder of the Emotional Health Institute, EHI, a nonprofit organization that aims to create communities where individuals, children, and families are thriving emotionally, free from the otherwise long-lasting effects of fear and trauma. Cedric began his training in emotional resolution in 2009 in France and has continued his work in the United States since 2011. In addition to working with clients individually, Cedric trains mental health professionals and educators across the United States on emotional resolution. We're excited to have Cedric with us today to discuss emotional resolution and his work with the Emotional Health Institute. Cedric, welcome to our show. Thank you, Graham. Thank you for having me. It's really nice to have you here. You know, as we start out, I would love our listeners to understand just a little bit more about you and what inspired your work over your growth in your lifetime to start this work around emotional resolution. Tell us about yourself. Yeah, of course. So I was born in France in 1980 in a very, very small village. We were about 60 people in the middle of the woods. And uh, this, is, this is a second career. My first career happened till 2009, was working for the Ritz-Carlton Hotels. And I was um, director of restaurants. I was managing the front of the house for them. You asked me what uh, motivated me to, to change careers, so to speak. Very early on, I was fascinated by emotions. And when you have the opportunity to manage people, you see that you don't manage people, you manage their emotions. Yeah. You, have to, you have to see uh, with what coworker they thrive, doing what task. You have to manage their emotions so they feel good, they thrive. So emotion, you know, very early on as I was uh, working in the hotels, became an interest of mine. And myself, I was dealing with uh, a lot of anger, self-directed anger, a lot of anxiety since I was a very young child. Mm. And so I wanted to find a way to help people resolve or feel better with their emotional difficulties. Mm. So seeing how people were relating to their emotions was the number one, I would say, motivation in changing career. And the number two was my grandfather. My grandfather is now 100 years old. He turned is that right? Years. Yeah. Uh, World War II veteran. Oh. Um, and the man is, is just a stand-up man. You know, we, we talk about PTSD, right? And this guy and people from this generation, they, have, they went through, through hell, right? Yeah, they and did. I always was fascinated how him and the men that were coming over yeah. that shared his experience dealt with trauma in a very different way from the way that people deal with trauma nowadays when they come from Afghanistan, Iraq, and, and all this. And, and as I got more into emotions, I, I started to understand why this man from this generation, generation dealt with trauma very differently from my generation, your generation, maybe, yeah. you know, younger guys. And it was very clear that when they came back from war, they spent time together men sharing a same past experience. And for my grandfather, I can only talk about him, they spent time in nature. They were working in woods, in vineyard, and they were focused on a specific goal, which was, you know, providing for their family. Hmm. I mean, it was not Tony Robbins. It was no Emrest. It was none of that. And still, 
they recover in a very different way from the early generation. Yeah. That was fascinating to me. Fascinating. And so that's how, that's how I got, I guess, in love with this all emotional. That's a great story. Kingdom. That's a great story. You know, I love that idea about the World War II veterans around, you know, how they came home to heal. They came home and they healed by being in relationship with each other. They worked hard, were out in nature, and they were goal-oriented. My mom right. was in uh, World War II. My mom's 11 years younger than your grandfather. And she was she went through it as well. She was in Aberdeen, Scotland, and went through you know some really challenging things. And those were some pretty traumatic experiences that they had. I sound like your grandfather maybe was in direct contact with war, but mm -hmm, mm -hmm. nonetheless, it doesn't matter. Your exposure, you're exposed. 100%. And what, what they did to heal. And my mom tells stories still of her favorite memories, funny enough, or being in the bunkers, where the way that they got through those times, where they had people in the bunkers, men in the men in the in the community who would come in and they, you know, the 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 sirens are going off and they're getting their little the bags and their gas masks and they're running down to the to the shelter. But in the shelter, they had, you know, they had happy times. Yeah. They had fellowship with each other, they had music. They were sharing, they were talking, and it allowed them to cope with what outside the shelter was just going haywire and was chaos and danger to this very safe place, relationally driven though. What what a cool start for you. You to give come me this you give me chills because that's it. That's that's resilience, right? I yes, mean, it know, is. We know that now. We know that resilience resilience comes from our environment. That's right. So if we are supported by our environment, even, even if bombs are falling, but we have a community and we can share and we can feel that each other, we support each other, yeah. it's resilience. And at the end of the war or at the end of maybe uh, dealing with cancer or depression, it is key. Yeah. Yeah. You I, I think that's so good. I think, I think the resilience piece and, and how we develop resilience can be unique to each person, but there are some fundamental things, like you said, relationship and 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 working hard, being out in nature, healing the healing process that can take place. And what we know is that maybe some folks haven't quite yet reached the place of resilience. And maybe because their emotions from what they've gone through, whether it's a war or whether it's their, their upbringing or things in their life, maybe they become stuck. And right. I know people come to see you for various mental health you know, complaints and maybe anxiety or depression or trauma. But before we get into kind of your emotional resolution, we're going to call it MRES as we talk through today, share with us your neuroscientific understanding of how the brain constructs emotions and your theory, the MRES theory of emotion. Yeah. Our theory is very much based on the work of Lisa Feldman Barrett out of Boston and Antonio Damasio. It is the prediction model. We understand, we know today how emotions, disruptive emotional patterns are made. At the origin of any pattern is always the same type of event, is what we're going to call a trauma. Yeah. Now, what is a trauma? A trauma is not only a rape or a car accident or, or, no, a trauma is just an instant that holds too much stress, physical or emotional, for us to take on at the moment when we live it. Mm -hmm. So for a newborn, for example, coming out of the womb, there's a lot of trauma there. You know, the mm -hmm. shift of temperature, the noise, all this. So, so trauma is only that. The trauma is an instant that all too much stress for us to take on at the moment that we live it. Now, we also know something else is that 
one of the main jobs of the brain is to predict. Our brain constantly predicts based on past experiences. Mm-hmm. We can see that with food, for example. If I'm having an apple when I'm, let's say, six years old and I'm having my first Granny Smith apple, I'm biting it, I'm having a first sensory experience, right? The crunchiness, the acidity, the juice in my mouth. And wow, that's, that's what Granny Smith's apple is. Yes. If I don't eat this apple for six months, but I, I grab one six months later, before I bite in my apple, I am going to know exactly what yes. experience I'm about to have. I am going to predict, my brain yes. is going to predict yes. what sensations are about to happen before I buy the apple. Actually, I'm even salivating even right now as you're talking expect. about that Granny Smith apple. That's right. And more than that, more than salivating, is what people say, yeah, I'm salivating. And your brain knows exactly That's how it's right. going to taste like. That's right. It's a prediction. We predict constantly. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's the prediction. We know something else. It is that when we experience a trauma, doesn't matter how old we are. When we experience a stress that is too high for us to take on, there is a phenomenon of dissociation. Mm-hmm. That means that the cognitive brain, so to speak, shut down. So few numbers, so we can be clear. What you and I were aware of right now, consciously, it's about 2,000 bits of information per second. Mm-hmm. Process at a speed of about 150 miles per hour. That's what we process consciously. At the same time, simultaneously, our subconscious brain has the potential to gather 400 billion bits of information per second at a speed of 150,000 miles per hour. When we experience an instant of trauma Mm -hmm. and the cognitive shutdown, it's a natural process, so we don't suffer too much during the trauma. When the cognitive shutdown, the subconscious takes over. It's like a vortex, wide open. It is going to gather all the information available through the five senses during this instant of trauma. So you can remember later. So what you taste, the temperature of the room, the the textures around you, everything available through the five senses, but not in a logical way. Yes. It's in very high definition at very high speed, and it doesn't make any sense. It's a vortex of information. And just like for the apple, your subconscious brain is also going to gather the information happening within your body. Mm -hmm. What are the physical sensations that you're experiencing during this instant of trauma? Once the trauma is done, whoop, the cognitive go back into mm-hmm. place. So we're now we're sinking. Subconscious and conscious is now in sync. Later on, when the body is going to find itself in a situation where it recognizes, when I say the body, I mean the subconscious, right? When the body finds itself in a situation where it recognizes one or several elements that was present during one of our past trauma. Yes the brain is going to instantly predict what physical sensations you're about to feel. Yes. Predict and generate those physical sensations, just like for the apple. These physical sensations, that's what allows us to know that we're feeling an emotion. We know that we feel anxious or angry or frustrated because we have physical sensations in our body. These physical sensations, they have a name. It's called interoception. Antonio Damasio called them somatic markers. 
those physical sensations that we feel when we're having an emotion, those physical sensations that let us know that we have an emotion, were the exact same sensations that were felt at the moment of a specific trauma. So in any other species, when those physical sensations are present during an emotion, they don't do anything, right? They just let those emotional sensations move on through them and resolve. Yes. Other species, other than us, domestic animals, some form animals do not hold on to trauma. We do as human beings. Yes. Why? Because every time we feel an emotional difficulty, we control either way what we feel or we control our environment mm -hmm. so we shut down the emotion. And that's the problem. We never let the prediction plays out until the end. Mm -hmm. Maintaining the loop, the belief, so to speak, that the situation in which we are today holds some kind of danger. As you frame it this way, and, and I love this description, and I, I appreciate you patiently taking us through it, it's, it is right on. And, you know, in essence, you're saying the body holds the trauma, you know, the, right. the body holds the memory. Well, well how is that? Well, Sometimes when traumas are too much for us to hold or they're beyond kind of our emotional pay grade, or maybe we haven't got, you know, the emotional muscle to manage that. It's outside the realm of our ability to manage the adaptive response is to dissociate, to disconnect from it. But you're also saying in that disconnection, that emotion gets stuck and kind of gets locked away. And we kind of go back to the secondary conscious functioning, but that stays stuck kind of almost in our primary conscious. And when we're exposed to that, stimulant or that trigger again, then that comes back again to us. And then we yeah. find ourselves in that emotional state that it, that's got locked from the time when we went through that trauma. That's right. That's exactly right. And, yeah. you know, we say the body keeps the score was well, a very famous book. Yeah. Better um, call. Better call. That's right. Lisa Fenman Barrett says something that I love. She says, no, the brain keeps the score. The body is a scorecard. Yeah, that's good. Yes, yeah. the brain. The brain is what keeps track of what's going on out there. Right. And yes, the sensations are trapped in the body, so to speak. Yes. In the fascia. Yes. Well, let's talk about the body. You say the body is wired to permanently resolve dysfunctional and negative emotional patterns with this innate biological capacity for self-emotional resolution, which is pretty cool. If we only allow it to go through this natural process without any interference. And I want to get into that in just a moment, but tell me how you evaluate emotions that one might be stuck in. And what are some of the initial steps that you go through with people to both identify those emotions and maybe get them ready to go through this process for you? How do you identify the emotions that are stuck? So that's a great question. And I do not help them at all in the sense that people come to see, to see me or the practitioners because they identify some emotional difficulties, some emotions that they sense are toxic to their current life. This is how we, we get in. They come and they are aware of an emotion that has been following them for a long time mm -hmm. and are not congruent with the current reality. I often tell people, embrace is not about resolving emotions. We're always going to have emotions for human beings. No, no. Embrace is about resolving emotions that are not congruent with our current reality. And most of our disruptive emotional patterns, anxiety, depression, phobias, they're not congruent with what's going on in our life today. They're just reaction 
of the body based on past uh, experiences. Yeah. So people come to see us first because they uh, isolated some emotions that they don't want to feel anymore. And when they give us this first fruit, mm -hmm. then we can start to challenge beliefs. We can start to challenge all the emotions that they think are or they feel are appropriate, but they're yeah. not. Right. For example, be resentful to my father because he did such and such thing 20 years ago. Does that serve you today? Right. No, maybe not. So there is a, a work to be done of like, stop blaming the past and recognizing that some of the emotions that we hold, yeah, they're in us and it's not our fault and they're in us. Uh, it's probably mm -hmm. something that happened in the past. But when we recognize that they're in us, then we own them. Really then good. we can shift them. Really good. We'll be right back after word from our sponsor. Whether you're a longtime or first-time listener to Behavioral Health Today, you're probably familiar with Triad, the company that brings you this podcast. But you may not know that Triad also hosts a community for current and aspiring behavioral and mental health professionals, featuring trending content and education and career resources, all for free. If you are a behavioral or mental health professional, or you're studying to become one, join more than 80,000 people on Triad by claiming your free professional account today. Visit us at hellotriad.com bht. That's hellotriad.com bht. And join the Triad community today. So really, you're talking about connecting to the origin of a difficult emotion through this physical sensations and then modulating the unwanted emotional response permanently. It's not held in the same way anymore. It's almost like it gets to be, well, hence the word resolve, resolution. It gets to be worked through and let go. And I know you've got several protocols yeah. that are designed by the Emotional Health Institute to naturally release these disruptive emotional patterns and kind of these long-lasting traumas. Tell me more about this emotional resolution process yeah, and this I'm process of viscerosomatic quieting. What a great word or a great phrase. Thank you. Yes, absolutely. I want to jump on something very precious that you just said earlier, Please. which is resolving trauma. We can't resolve trauma because trauma happened. Mm. You know, nowadays it's, it sounds good to say, yeah, we're going to heal trauma. It's <laughs> mm. not possible. If I was bullied, I was bullied. If I was sexually abused, I was sexually abused. Trauma happened. There's nothing we can do about it. However, we can resolve the wounds that trauma created. Right. And for that, we don't need to know what happened in your past because your current behaviors, your current emotions mm. hold everything today in your life. So we, mm. we don't spend a lot of time talking about the history of the people because it takes, takes us away of the current experience of our clients or my current experience that work on myself. Mm. So we only take the person the way they live today. Yes. What is the impact of trauma? And we resolve that. It's really good. Well, so I, I want to get into that. That sparks a couple of thoughts for me, but tell me how you guys do that then. So go take me into the pro and, and I appreciate this kind of as an entry here. Take me into some of the protocols that are designed by you folks to, again, naturally release these disruptive emotional patterns that keep people stuck unnecessarily now in their lives. And this can help them kind of have a, a, a different relationship with that trauma. It doesn't go away, but the emotions around it 
get to be released. Tell me about the process you guys take people yeah, through. Absolutely. So there, as you said, it MRS is a, is a pretty extensive body of work. But mm-hmm. to to keep it so to speak simple, it what we use most is the first one. The first protocol would be something that we call instant MRS, which is teaching people self MRS basically. When people are feeling an emotional difficulties, then they recognize yeah. do not serve them. We're going to teach them to do this process of allowing the body to go thoroughly through this prediction. We're going to teach them very specifically how to do it so they can take care of their own emotion and resolve it. If I'm with a, a client and during the conversation, there is an emotion coming up, I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to take them through an instant MRS. Boom. I'm going to drop them in their body. I'm going to make sure they're safe so they can so the body can go through the end until the end of this prediction. So you keep them in their body and you encourage them to almost journey through what the body needs to do and naturally has the potential to do to resolve this dysfunctional negative pattern of emotionally locked experiences. You stay in the body, you stay on that focus, and then you walk them all the way to to its resolution. Yes, correct. So basically, I drop them in the body, ask them what physical sensations they feel in their body. Yes. So that remove them from the story, boom, we go in the body, only in the body. And at this point, the difficult part, so to speak, is for the client not to do anything. That means when we feel uncomfortable, often we're going to take a deep breath, Mm. or we're going to stretch, or we're going to find some excuses, or Mm. we're going to want to talk about why we don't feel good. No, no, all this is controlling. So the Mm. difficult part for the client is to stay with the sensations as they will change in their body. Because the sensations are going to change in the body. It's a short movie, so to speak. And my role as a practitioner is going to allow them to do that and to not interfere too much. I don't want to say too many words because if I take control, then the prediction will not pay out until the end by itself. So I need, so to speak, to hold on the space in a specific way so they can go through the process without me really stepping into their world. Yeah. They need to get back into control. It's interesting when you, when you put it like that, Cedric. I can, I can, I'm picturing your role as a practitioner in that moment. And to stay in the body means that the person has to re-experience the emotions that were one time adaptively dissociated from and protected against, to taking them back to that emotion and that's a hard process to stick with our emotions sometimes because we dissociated from them for a reason. They were painful. They were, they were charged. They were reminding of all these things that were about whatever I went through, let's say a trauma. And you're saying that one of the, well, I may be inserting that one of the things that we do to maybe stay away from the, from the trauma itself and feeling it is we want to tell the story, but the telling of the story over and over and over again is actually avoiding it being resolved. It just kind of regurgitates and regurgitates and we never really resolve it. You're saying, regardless of the story, hold that. Just stay with the emotion that's locked. And if we can, and you help them journey through that and just stay in that state, the body has this innate inherent capacity to heal if we can just write it all the way through. That's right. That's right. And and to be precise, because I hope people will try it after Please. listening to the show, is I do not let them in the emotion. I let them in the sensation. So it's only sensory. Just the body. That's right. Mm-hmm. Because if you're in the emotion, it's the, I often compare it as the ocean, right? The emotion, the way that we live it is like a wave. And yes. most of our life, we serve the wave. So when we're angry, we scream. When yeah. we're sad, we cry. So we 
spend our life in the surface. Yeah. But look, when there is waves in the ocean, let's say Maverick here in California, the huge wave doesn't come from the wind. The, the wave comes from the current underneath. Yes. And what is the current underneath the emotion? Sensations. That's really good. So yeah. they have to dive. They have to go into the current. Yeah. And it's not painful at all. It might be slightly uncomfortable, but it's only sensation. The emotion is uncomfortable if you ride it. If the intensity is high, but when you go down in the current, just in the sensations, as they move inside of you, it's yeah. not painful at all. That's a really important piece. Yeah. I think that's a really important piece. It's not staying with the emotion and desensitizing ourselves to it. It's riding the physical kind of sensations. You actually say that on your website that every emotion we feel is the result of a coalescence of physical sensations in our body. That's what you're saying you're writing out, not the emotion. That's right. But trusting the body is going to work that out naturally on its own. That's right. And that's the prediction, Graham. Yeah. Like that, those physical, the prediction is only sensorial. It's yeah. only physical sensations. And most of the time, as I said earlier, we... We take a breath or we talk and we, we stop, we shift the prediction. The brain's going to keep on, keep on sending this prediction over and over. Because if I control or if my therapist control, it must be because there is a danger. Yeah. The body has to go through the whole prediction without any kind of interference. At the end of the prediction, the brain is anticipating some kind of danger. Yeah. The same danger that happened to us during the trauma. Now, at the end of the prediction, Nothing happens. You're safe and sound. From that very second, the emotion is resolved instantly and permanently. Mm -hmm. All through our life, we always upgrade or update predictions. If there is no stress, if there is no danger. Uh, for example, I always take this silly example. If I go have an ice cream somewhere, let's say down the street, there is a new, a new store and I enter, it's brand new, so you have like, a green batch of ice cream, a pink batch of ice cream, a white batch of ice cream. And I love strawberry ice cream. So I see the, the, the pink batch and I say, oh, I like a bowl of this ice cream. And the person is giving me a bowl of pink ice cream. Very happy. I'm taking my, my spoon outside of the shop and I'm expecting to taste, you know, raspberry, strawberry, something fruity. I eat it and it takes me one second to recognize that it's not any kind of berry. It's actually smoked salmon. Mm. That's a smoked salmon ice cream. And poof. It is disgusting because I wasn't expecting it. Now, how many spoons of this ice cream do you think I need to know that in this specific store, the pink batch is smoked salmon? Yeah. I need one. One second, and I know forever, until I'm proved wrong, that in this specific store, the pink ice cream is smoked salmon ice cream. Does that mean that I'm going to believe that any pink ice cream is smoked salmon? No. But because... It wasn't traumatic. I'm going to apply this knowledge to the rest of my life. That means that if I go somewhere else and there is no label, I'm going to ask first, what's this ice cream? Because I've learned from this experience. Prediction happened in a matter of seconds. Mm -hmm. So when people tell me it's impossible to carry anxiety for 20 years and to resolve it in a few seconds, heck yes, it's possible. That's how the brain works. Yeah. We update prediction constantly. Yes. It's the same thing for emotional difficulties. So when you help someone work through, through your MRES process, they are able to no longer have to live because they've had to live 
but they no longer have to live in a fight or flight state. Correct. Yeah. When they're exposed to what used to be a stimulus, to what the body or the brain perceived as the danger, maybe it's yeah. a smell, maybe it's a situation, maybe it's no money on my account, whatever it is. This is a non-event yeah. after the session. Right. It's a non-event. Right. I'm curious, and I, and I love this approach. I, I love the body being able to free itself of this fight or flight state, to free itself of the physical sensations that our emotions coalesced that way and are, are, are held by the person in a, in, a, in a disruptive way in their life where they're not able to live freely. And, and you're saying if we can take the time to experience a reoccurring difficult emotion through its sensations in a safe environment, which you're doing with folks, without trying to understand it or control it, or without, like you said, dwelling in it, we will give our body the space to accomplish a natural cycle of this visceral somatic quieting that you're describing. And at the end of the cycle, the quieted emotion will be resolved. And there are times when, and I'm just wondering, are there times after this quieting that you find people wanting to better understand or try and interpret, maybe bring some of the story back or the emotions back, such that that might be part of their follow-up therapy, that maybe maybe they were molested as a child or maybe there's something very traumatic happened. Does that then lead into some understanding in the therapy that they might go into post-work with you? Very rarely, because okay. most of my clients come after they did the, the psychotherapy work, so to speak. Oh, okay. A lot of my clients come because they've been with therapists or coaches, and they understand why they feel that way. Got they it. know why, and, and that doesn't ease the pain. Okay. So they already so, have an understanding. They're just stuck in their bodies. That's right. And you help them work through that body piece, the sensation that's been, you know, the emotions coalesced into that physical sensation. They're rid of that. They're no that's longer right. in that, again, that fight or flight mode or they're in that, that hyper aroused mode. So let's talk about that piece and take me back to the neuroscience, which I really appreciated you starting us with. Going back to the neuroscience behind your approach, what has actually happened mm. in the brain and in the body? when they're through with the MRES process. Mm -hmm. Can I jump in in what you just said earlier because it was super interesting? Go. I just want to, I just want to say that for MRES to work, it is not necessary to know what the original trauma was. Not necessary okay. at all. And often, sometimes, not often, sometimes people will create a story or a history mm. based on how they feel today, right? I feel that way so something might have happened when I was a child. Right. And, and, and they create this story and that becomes real for them. And maybe it was real, maybe it was not. I mean, we don't know that. But what I mean is we don't need to know for a it fact. It doesn't matter. It doesn't right. matter. Yeah. Because the body, the body holds it, right? The, right. the body holds the trace of it physically. Yeah. Yeah. To yeah. go back to your question, it's, for me, it's all about neuroplasticity. And yes. in the sense that when there is a trauma, the dendrites that link the neurons that are triggered or active during the instant of trauma, because of the intensity of the stress, the synapses burn out. Mm -hmm. So now you have those blocks of neurons holding information yes. with the incapacity of getting the communication to be integrated in the rest of the neuronal map. That's right. And when we do MRES, 
we could say that it's, it's almost acting like a small electroshock. Mm-hmm. You know, when we do electroshock therapy, we send electricity, so we reconnect this information so it can be processed. When the person is able to re-experience consciously this sensorial prediction, this information that were trapped in those isolated, we could say, island mm-hmm. of neurons are being reconnected to the rest of the neuronal map. So now the information is being processed by the entire brain. Yeah, that's very good. Stuck anymore. That's really good. You know, when we when we have unintegrated aspects of our life experiences, we are only as good until those unintegrated aspects get triggered back up again in our lives. And then we're kind of at their mercy. And you're saying if we if we at the at the sensation level, at the body level can release that, it gets it gets integrated. It it, it has to get integrated. And now yes. it's not something that we any longer need to dissociate from or carry separate from ourselves. Now it's a part of, like you said, we never get over the trauma, but the physical sensations, some of the emotions that are coalesced in that body sensation and how it forms, they're not there in such a reactive way. In fact, they're gone. That's right. And and what you said is very important. It's a process of integration. It's not about shutting down emotions. It's not about, you know, it's integrating every single pieces of our life. When, yeah. in my view of things, when we have a trauma and it's too high for us, it's like a little piece of our life was being stolen. Yeah. We were not present for it. It's stolen. The principle of MRS is to reintegrate every part of right. our life. So we're whole. We are, we are finally whole. It's really a good point because it goes back to what you said, the definition of trauma. is there's too much stress for us to hold or take in at that time. And maybe it was. Maybe we were too young. It was above our emotional pay grade. We didn't have people around us to support us. We didn't have healthy ways to integrate. For whatever reason, this stays yeah. dissociated. Dissociation is simply nothing than something cut off from or apart from us. Yeah. And what you're saying is if, as, as a practitioner, you can hold somebody through that integration process, that resolution process, and now it becomes they become whole again That's right. without that being as triggering or as such a threat in their lives. That's right. That's right. And for some emotions, you need a practitioner because they might feel too scary yeah. or too big. That's right. For, for the emotions. You can do it on yourself. Yeah. It asks will. You have to have the will to look at it, the, the will to stop blaming, to stop wondering why, and to get in. It's like the, the hero journey, right? You mm-hmm. have to get in. You right. can try to fight your emotion. You can try to escape them. You can try to, com- to, to control them. You can try to seduce them. Yeah. But at the end of the day, the only way to slay the dragon is to get in the belly of the beast. Yeah. And it's right here. It's in the body all the time. Let's right. get in. That's the way through. Yeah. That's the only way through. Man, I, I, I really, I'm really appreciating this and loving what you're sharing with us. I would, you know, we're kind of starting to come home here now and kind of round down the show here. But I, I want to just for those listening, give a word to them, give them a sense of, hey, if you're going through things like this, or if you recognize something in yourself, give MRES a consideration. This is maybe how we might be able to help you. So Give a, maybe some ideas of, hey, if you're going through this or you're experiencing this or you've had this happen or you're carrying this or you notice this, give some examples of this that they yeah. may then be able to kind of say, hey, maybe this is a way for me to carry this in a different way and integrate some things that maybe have been stuck. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I could say if, you, if you've been carrying anxiety or anger or resentment or mm. depression even for a long time, mm. Your body is not meant to carry that. Your body is not meant to hold that. 
you're depleting energy constantly and you're, you're wasting pieces of life. You, you do not enjoy what is given to you by life today. Yeah. If that's the case, reach out. We will help you to resolve it. And if you carry a trauma, you know what happened to you and you keep on having that as a cross on your back. Ask yourself, yeah, the trauma happened, but what is the impact today in my life? Right. And this impact, we can resolve as well. So it's not taking the value away from the trauma that happened, but it doesn't have to keep on re-traumatizing you over and over again. I think that's such a hopeful message, Cedric. You know, when we go through traumas, it, it has the potential to, de to developmentally arrest what our fullest potential is in life. And we are stuck and only as good until we get triggered again. That's right. And we're always, you know, our brain's always trying to predict what's going to be next. And we're, we're, we're not fully integrated and fully whole. And right. I want to be real clear about that piece. It's about integrating what was not able or capable of being integrated early on for whatever reason that can be integrated now that allows that wholeness and one's full actualizing potential to be freed up in their lives and for their fullest experiences and who they really truly are to be reached. That's very hopeful. That's right. And again, you said something brilliant. All we do with MRS is to update obsolete prediction from the brain. Yeah, really good. That's and a key phrase. Say that one more time and explain it just a wee bit for us. Yeah, yeah. It's, Updating. It's, yeah, it's, it's like if you're having a, an iPhone, right? And you're running, you're running a, a software from 1981, for example, yeah. right? The software kept on, kept on, we keep on using the same software. It's all about updating obsolete, obsolete prediction from the brain. That's right. That's what yeah. it is. Really good. Really good. To the truth of what is in the present. That's right. Not living in the in the in the past. That's got us stuck. Yeah, really That's good. Right. Well, Cedric, I would love for folks following our show today after they listen to be able to follow up with you. Give us some uh, links and connections of how folks can uh, find out more about you, the Emotional Health Institute, and MRES. Sure. They can go to MRES, e -M -R -E -S com, and that's going to be the website for the Emotional Health Institute. Uh, we have practitioners speaking English so in, 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 in the USA, in Japan, in France, in Spain as well. So nice. various practitioners all over the world. My website is cedricbertelli.com. And then we have a, a Facebook page, a YouTube channel, all this good stuff that we will provide as well. It's okay. Really good. Cedric Bertoli, man, what a great time with you today. Thank you so much. Thank you, Graham. For being on our show, it's been my pleasure. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I also want to thank you, our listeners, for joining Cedric and me today. It's always great to have you with us as well. Regarding our episode today, I want to remind you that it and its resources and an archive of all of our other podcasts can be found on our webpage at triadhq.com slash bht. So thanks again for being with us on the show, and we'll look forward to having you back with us next time on Behavior Health Today. We appreciate all the support from our community, and if you like our show, one of the best ways you can support it is by giving us a five-star rating and leaving a review. Behavioral Health Today is a podcast part of the Tribe Network, all rights reserved.